true, particularly for climate, agnostic to political party, to many of the demographics that we often point to as being incredibly divisive, most of us do actually want comparable things. Most of us do have similar motivations, similar goals, and similar concerns for our communities. I like to say very often that planet Earth is our most expansive yet common ground. And when we actually think about it that way, there is a lot of collectivism. There is actually a lot of opportunity for mobilizing around shared goals. Welcome back to Chat with Leaders, where we amplify the voices of leaders who use business and influence as a voice for good. We believe it's their example that will have a tremendous impact on our next generation of servant leaders who will carry us forward into our bright, sustainable future. On today's episode, Jeff Bond chats with Catherine Pierce, founder and CEO of Carbon Zero Financial, a fintech company working to make carbon neutral living as simple as swiping a credit card. Carbon Zero provides white label climate technology for the automatic measurement, monitoring, and offsetting of cardholders' carbon footprints as they spend. Catherine talks to Jeff about putting dignity back into dollars, how we can see entitlement of future generations as an opportunity, and the importance of making sustainability a business imperative. Let's jump into this conversation with Catherine Pierce. Over to you, Jeff. Catherine, welcome to Chat with Leaders. I'm so glad you're here today. Thank you for having me. Well, from the moment I met you, and it was such a serendipitous encounter, I, I met someone at the FinTech conference down here in Atlanta. We got talking about conscious capitalism and using business and influence as a force for good. And the very first thing he said is, you have to meet Catherine Pierce, and certainly lived up to the, uh, to the hype as soon as I met you. Warms my heart to hear that. Thank you. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, let's just jump right in. I wanted to talk about kind of your mission of how you help brands, banks, and fintechs help their people, their stakeholders lead sustainable lives. So first, what do you wish everyone understood about the why behind your founding of Carbon Zero Financial? So our why is actually pretty straightforward, and I think it's something that resonates with a lot of people. We believe it should be easier to transact according to your concern for people and planet. Full stop. At present, a lot of us have these shared intentions and concerns around people and planet, particularly climate change, the role that each of us plays either in mitigating it or exacerbating it. And there's not a lot of facilitation of, okay, what do we do next? So there's all the anxiety, but there's not a lot of the automation. There's not a lot of systems and structures to facilitate. And we, we're not okay with that. We're very much builders. And we said, all right, if there's this intention, if there are people who want to contribute to the solution, let's systemize that and let's scale it. So we build out financial technology by which people can more easily and effectively shop sustainably, understand the impact of their spend, and do that critical work of actually diverting their buying power towards that which aligns with their values. That's so good. Yeah, I've been thinking a lot about systems, particularly in as it relates to running a business. And if you're going to espouse ideas and have ways in which you want to have impact in the world through your business or through your influence, then you have to have a repeatable system in place that helps the stakeholders that are involved with your brand execute that and then feel good about what they're doing if they're behind your mission. Absolutely. Our system, we like to describe it as quantification, gamification, gratification of climate. We look at transactions, we look at your spending, and we can actually calculate through our proprietary algorithm what the carbon impact of your spend is. And that's huge. I think so many of us, we don't actually know there are impact. And it's difficult to start to benchmark progress without those numbers, without those um, KPIs by which we can actually say, oh, I'm improving or not. 
So we calculate the carbon impact of your spend. That's the first part of our strategy. And then we make it easier to offset that carbon impact. So exercising credit card rewards points towards offsetting. A lot of us stockpile our points. We're not really putting them to good use. Now we're saying, hey, you can allocate some of those towards offsetting your carbon footprint. And then there's the actual gratification. And that's where our marketplace comes in. It's a marketplace only of sustainable goods and services that we've vetted for their practices. We make it easier to find these, but also more gratifying to, act, to shop with them. So you're guaranteed at least 15% off when you shop in our marketplace. And so now we can not only understand our impact, offset some of that impact, but do the critical work of, again, shifting our buying behaviors in such a way that we still have a financial incentive. There's still ease, but now... It's a reflection of our values. It's a reflection of our concern for the planet. Well, it's a phenomenal system, technology, and just ideology. I mean, no one can disagree with that. And I think you give people a roadmap and, and an awareness of how they can have impact and you make it easy and fun, then uh, it really does. <laughs> yeah, easy and fun. That's that's all we want to do. Um, so listen, what's a common misconception then that yeah, I know you work a lot through brands, banks, and fintechs. So when you kind of approach your clients, your prospects, and they have doubt about the business impact supporting climate change, what? how do you passionately, what is that doubt? And how do you passionately disagree with that? So I think very often, particularly when we're talking to banks um, and financial services, we can think of things like social impact as being charity or philanthropic, just kind of feel-good endeavors when in fact, increasingly, they are business imperatives. <laughs> These are integral to your ability to attract the next generation of consumers. So first and foremost, there's the harsh truth of one, there's nothing profit maximizing about a planet that can't sustain life and can't sustain commerce. So if you do in fact want to look at the longevity of your bottom line, the longevity of your product, you have to ensure that there's actually a planet on which this can all be operating. So we all stand to benefit from it. But even beyond that, when we look at consumers, particularly Gen Z, we do care. We do care that the people with whom we're spending are taking seriously the impact they're having. They're taking seriously whether or not they're mitigating or exacerbating climate. This is not um, a charity event. Like we say, though we are absolutely supporters of kind of all efforts towards social impact, climate is certainly not one that is just fluff. This is something that is imperative. And if you are not building infrastructure, products, and strategies around climate, you are already falling behind. Uh, so we really, we're trying to say this is not only good for business, this is not only good for planet, this is actually critical for your bottom line to compete over the next 10, 20, 30 years. I love hearing that. And I hear it time and time again, because that's we're focused on leaders like you who are uh, using their influence as a force for good and, and really to create generational impact, because it is all about that. We're going to leave this world one day and hopefully in a better place than where we found it. And we're relying on the next generations to carry the torch to create our bright, sustainable future. And uh, fortunately, we have a generation that's coming into the workforce now that really does care deeply, and they're really tired of, of seeing the state of the world and that they want to actually make a difference. So like you said, it's critical to the consumer preferences, but it's also incredibly critical in terms of companies' hiring ability, the talent pools that are coming into the workforce. So how have you seen that playing into uh, just the perspective you have with your clients and the space you're in? Absolutely. So not only as a consumer, do we want to kind of align our shopping with our values, we, we care about kind of um, what we're voting with our dollar with. We too care about our employers. And increasingly, employees want to know that the corporation for whom they work is taking this seriously and has policies around climate. 
Um, so in your ability to attract talent, again, I can't emphasize enough, particularly with Gen Z, this is the most diverse generation to date. This is the most educated generation to date. They have also lived through a pandemic. They have lived through uh, multiple kind of red flag warning phenomenon of reports on climate. They're a little jaded and they're fed up essentially with just accepting, all right, this is kind of business as usual. This is, is how it is. Financial services can serve people and planet, and they're demanding that we do so. And I frankly welcome that. I think the more that we increase the standards of expectation, both from the financial services with whom we transact, but also our own employers, the more that we create more progressive norms. Um, and to that end, even since this is chat with leaders, I would just even put a call to action out for other leaders when discerning the types of practices and policies you enact internally, that too should be a reflection of the values you claim to espouse. So if we have products externally that are about social impact or about sustainability, internally, your own ecosystem and culture should reflect that as well. And to be blunt, there is a lot of copying and pasting of internal practices that are actually extremely classist, racist, elitist, sexist, transphobic. And I think we have an opportunity, but frankly, an obligation as young leaders, as founders of companies, to be incredibly intentional also about what are the environments we're creating internally and in what capacity are we affirming and promoting the potential and humanity of each of our employees. So I think this is one, employees are looking for that. They wanna see that you're not just kind of full of it, both with how you're impacting climate, but then also how you're actually treating them both as employees and people. has to be authentic. It has to be yeah. real. You have to live it out. You have to model the behavior every single day. The reality is, is it's not as hard as it seems. I know that in our traditional capitalistic views, I think there was a book just written about Jack Welch, the man who broke capitalism. And his, uh, his annual kind of tradition was to fire the bottom 10%, no matter how high performing they were, or how well the organization was doing, but just to trim the bottom line. And, mm. uh, and I just, you know, that unfortunately has given capitalism as a brand in itself a bad rap, but there's all these conscious capitalists in the world. And that's kind of where you and I had connected on are the tenets of conscious capitalism, which for those of you who don't know, was a movement started by John Mackey, the founder of Whole Foods and Rosh Sodia, who wrote a book about it. And they codified four tenets of what that meant to be more stakeholder oriented. But that internal group is just as important, those internal stakeholders, as much as your shareholders, as much as your customers, and the environment is a stakeholder in the work that you do as well. So I think you make a really good point to identify how critical it is for your decisions to impact each stakeholder in your organization. In what ways has that helped you as a leader in your organization and even challenged you as a leader? Yeah, and I think admittedly, we're a startup. And so we're very grateful and fortunate in that respect to kind of have a blank slate where we get to decide who do we want to be and how do we create a company that is reflective of our values. But I'll even just as a note, um, different hiring practices. What do you deem professional? Do you vilify people's natural hair as being antithetical to a professional environment? In what capacity are you dehumanizing or are you limiting the capacity for people to contribute and thrive in your work environment? Um, the necessity for to have college degrees to even get a job. I'm some. I graduated summa cum laude, two majors from an Ivy League institution. I was chair of my class. I loved university, and I will be the first to say you do not need a university degree to be eligible to contribute to an organization. If we are demanding certain um, 
somewhat antiquated notions of eligibility and qualification, we're inherently telling people who are qualified, who are able, who are innovative, but didn't have the funds to necessarily attend those schools or didn't have the bandwidth to take out exorbitant loans, you're not welcome here. Um, so too, even the idea of promotion and advancement requiring certain advanced degrees, MBAs, et cetera. We have so many policies that are not only limiting people's potential to contribute and thrive, but frankly, they're deleterious for our own growth as well. This is not helping your company. These are a lot of antiquated benchmarks and standards. And that's the beauty. We have this opportunity for freshness, for innovation, to really be discerning and intentional about what do we value? How do we assess for what we value? And how do we create a culture, again, that is just as much an example of the, what we value as our products and services that we put out into the world. Well, and for all those that are complaining out there that there's limited talent on the market today, I mean, think about how what you just said right there opens up the opportunities to think a little bit more broadly about who the talent pool really is. I think there's not a lack of talent. There's a lack of willingness to identify talent that doesn't fit what we've been told is uh, the standard. If we're only looking at degrees, if we're only looking at some of these more commonplace benchmarks, yes, you probably won't see it. And that's to the rest of our benefit because we will find them. <laughs> well, I love what you said before about the shared intentions that we all have. I mean, there's so much division in the world today, as we all know, but I think that we could probably agree to about 90 to 95% of the things. One major one that you brought up is sustaining life on this planet. I think we could all agree that that's an important path forward. So on this common ground alone, we talked a little bit about creating better systems to facilitate this shared intention. What opportunity does that create for social entrepreneurs to drive profit and to see the power of, of dollar and to, to really you know, make an impact, make a profitable contribution in this world? Yeah, I think anytime you can identify, so particularly for climate, agnostic to political party, to many of the demographics that we often point to as being incredibly divisive, most of us do actually want comparable things. Most of us do have similar um, motivations, similar goals, and similar concerns for our communities. I like to say very often that Planet Earth is our most expansive yet common ground. And when we actually think about it that way, there is a lot of collectivism. There is actually a lot of opportunity for mobilizing around shared goals. So when we refuse to see things as completely divisive and instead we look for those opportunities for mass mobilization, you also open up incredible go-to-market strategy. If you can identify wholeness, if you can identify commonality, you inherently identify better opportunities for scale. And climate is just that. Across all kind of age groups, demographics, we are concerned about the sustainability uh, of the planet, of these ecosystems, of our capacity to live healthy, productive, prosperous lives here. And so having identified that, okay, most of us do care about climate. Most of us do actually wanna do more to be part of the solution. The lack of current infrastructure to do that creates incredible opportunity. So when you identify a shared intention and you identify that there's not enough structure, policies, uh, products facilitating, that opens up space for innovation. And that's very much what, I think a lot of social entrepreneurs are doing, they're trying to bridge the gap between what the world can be, what we want it to be, where we currently are, and these huge numbers of people who are willing and ready to help take us there. Uh, they just need some help. And nothing helps automate and create ease quite like technology. So inspiring, so hopeful. As I look at Gen Z coming up and the amount of social entrepreneurs that are just, they're not even in college yet, or they're coming out of college, they're going into their 20s, and they have these amazing, innovative ideas, they're starting their own businesses. It just gives me so much hope for our future. I've got Gen Alphas, and I've got three young kids. 
and it gives me hope for them. It gives me hope that the future will be left in a better place and than where it currently is. And we talked a little bit about how these younger generations maybe are unfairly pegged as, as being entitled, and maybe they are. We talked about to what should I be entitled, that, that they are entitled to a better world. So you had a pretty good opinion about that. So I wanted you to weigh in on that. Yeah, I think a little entitlement can go a long way in actually raising our standards. So again, if an employee feels more entitled to being seen as a and accepted as the, their full selves, and they expect a work environment where they can in fact thrive and where they can contribute meaningfully, that organization itself improves. I think entitlement is really just increased standards getting a bad rep. <laughs> We're trying to raise standards and there's nothing wrong with that. And in fact, more holistically, the more that we can see these as innovations and opportunities, the more that we see this as a space where we can create new jobs around this, we can create new products around this, we can create opportunity around this. We we peg so many of these pushes for change as either entitlement or even as punitive. Many people see particularly climate policy as a punitive measure, as though we've all been doing wrong and now we're being um, chastised for it. I think that's just the wrong approach and wrong framework. Let's see this as an opportunity to actually do better and in the process create. We're creating opportunity. We're creating uh, economic and environmental progress. The blue collar jobs are now green collar jobs. There's so much positive that can come if we just embrace our current necessity for climate action instead as a tremendous chance for innovation. And I, I you know, half glass full all the time. I'm very much uh, kind of indefatigable optimist <laughs> that I do. I think uh, necessity is the mother of invention and this too, increased standards, that entitlement to a good planet, to a good work environment, all of these things can actually create some pretty inspiring and system changing outcomes. Well, we won't weigh in on this because we're running out of time here, but the $369 billion climate bill that was just passed through the Senate after, what, five decades in the making should at least give us some hope or indication that in even in our divisive politics, there's this call for change and change is happening. So if you either get on the bus and be part of it, or maybe you won't be an enduring business. But if we were to wrap this up and you were to, to say, this is just the one big takeaway that you hope listeners get from our conversation today, what would that be? I would say, let's not overlook the opportunity to increase the moral value of money. We can put dignity back into our dollars Conscious capitalism, it recognizes our need still to kind of participate in these systems, but that's not to say that we have no power, and that's not to say that we can't vote with our dollar. And I'm really excited about this next generation, both of consumers and entrepreneurs, who are demanding better and truly want their actions and transactions to reflect the concern they have for people and planet. Um, so the more that we can be demanding that, the more that we seek out those services, we have a bright future, and uh, I'm truly so excited about the innovation that's coming out of both the types of guests that you have on and this next generation. Well said. This has been such a gift. It's a gift knowing you, Catherine. If people wanted to engage and follow you online or learn more about Carbon Zero, where would you direct them? So carbonzero.cc, that's our website. Um, again, we sell this technology to banks so that every credit card, no matter with whom you're kind of transacting, you can have access to these features. And we really, we look forward to increasing the, the extent to which financial services are serving people and planet. Well, we will include those resources and links in the show notes. Catherine, thanks again for being with us. Thanks for having me. 
Well, that wraps up another edition of Chat with Leaders. Thank you for investing your time with us today. If you haven't already, we would be grateful if you shared this episode with a friend and rated it on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts so we can pass down the wisdom from our guests to more aspiring leaders. If you're interested in launching a professional podcast to grow your business, we would love to help. Check out chatwithleaders.com for more information and feel free to reach out by emailing team at chatwithleaders.com. Thanks again and go be a leader worth following. Thank you.